How do we make and multiply disciples around the block and around the world? With host Doug Lucas of Team Expansion, Lee Wood of One Body Church, John Hirima of Big Life, Roger Shull of E3 Partners, and special guests from around the world, we'll explore how believers can come together to make more disciples. Welcome to the More Disciples Podcast. Hello and welcome again to another episode of the More Disciples Podcast. I am one of the co-hosts here, Roger Shull, along with uh, Lee Wood. Hey, everybody. Great to be back. Doug Lucas. Good morning. And John Harima. Hey, everyone. Looking forward to today's uh, broadcast. Yes, I am too. It's with Dave. He's coming at us from Australia. So just come. He's, his, it's morning for us, but evening for him. But uh, why don't you introduce us to Dave, Lee? Yeah, Dave is a uh, beloved brother in Christ and his wife, Mel, that I have known for probably over 12 years now. I had the um, joy of introducing him to um, sort of the patterns and principles of multiplicative disciple making and, and multiplication of disciples and churches. And he has been both faithful and fruitful from his home with his wife, Mel, and family in Australia unto the nations. I love him with my whole heart and am honored to co-labor with him. He and Mel are truly image bearers and have a willingness to spend and be spent for Jesus. I'm so thrilled to have him, to get to see him and thrilled to have him on the podcast. Plus, uh, I'll give this aside. He's one of the funniest people that I've ever met in my life. We probably don't have time on the podcast, but he does a, a great um, multiple impressions that are pretty funny. So we might not be able to get into that on the podcast, but um, a new dimension he, is, of he, is my, he is my mate. I love him with my whole heart. And again, thrilled to have him on the disciple. I want to have big I do have big ears anyway, for those of you on YouTube, but having ears to hear how God will use him to speak to us on the podcast today. Super excited. Love you, bro. Glad that you're here. Love you too, Lee. G'day, guys. Great to be here. Thank you. Well, I hope I will try to make sure that we have time for some jokes. I want to hear an impression or two. But uh, for now, Dave, why don't you introduce us to yourself? Maybe you can tell us how you got started with disciple making and church planning movements. Maybe you can also tell us about some of the stuff you're doing today as well. Yeah, thanks, Roger. Um, I think it's like uh, any one of our stories or the stories that I hear most of within uh, the disciple making movement as we hear it today, and that's that it has messy starts. It's it's one step forward and uh, sometimes 15 steps backwards. I had the benefit, really honestly, in the early days to have a, a rather strong hand on the back of my collar. Every time that I wanted to go and do things the way that I'd always done it after 25 years of pastoral ministry, both in Australia and the United States, I found that Lee uh, was the one who had his hand on the back of my collar. Later, I found out that he had a wonderful biblical catchphrase for it, being gentle and apt to teach. Um, so gentleness comes in all sorts of forms, including physical. But Lee was there and was, in a good way, continuing to poke me in the ribs 
to the point where it became a spiritual irritation. I, I had noticed for, for, for some time, actually years, particularly in my journaling, that I was asking some big questions of what, why are we seeing such an open back door um, to those who are exploring what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that we would see people come and we would see droves leave. And it was unsettling me to the point where I was beginning to ask the big questions. Yet I couldn't truly pinpoint on, and, and being someone that uh, was really good at finding fixes for things, I could not find a fix. I just could see the problem. It was over a, a number of years, really, that Lee began to, to, to point out some things, tell me stories, stories that were, were real and everyday and gritty and about life change. And it was stories of community transformation. And I guess it got to the point where I was like, that is what I need to be doing. As I began to read again through the book of Acts, it showed me demonstrably that for us to truly see the Great Commission fulfilled, which I believe we can see in our lifetime, Amen. it was going to take us to be willing to pay the cost, pay the price. And for me and my family, it was to walk away from what you could say is a very lucrative gig, particularly as I was contracted within like church health, I guess, um, helping to resolve issues within the church, to really walk away from that and start this brand new journey where all we knew was God had told us to step out and that there was something he had for us. So we were a bit like Abraham without such a great beard, <laughs> where all we knew was to leave where we were and go in the direction that the Holy Spirit was leading. So I guess that was um, that was the prompt to move from doing something very well for 26 years without the net result that I believed we should get and move towards something that was unknown yet exciting and, and something that I could actually see very clearly in Scripture. And so for me not to do that, I felt would have been terrifically disobedient. Dave, when you think about uh, making more disciples, where does it begin with you? What, what are the practices or the life strategies that are most, I guess, right, right out there at the front of your heads-up display in your windshield? Yeah, I think um, from the very outset it was okay, we, we need as a family to be image bearers from our home to our community. Mm. But immediately when we began to do that, it was like the Lord lifted our eyes and said, this is not something that is uh, sequential. It's not, you know, to your neighbour, to your community, to your nation, and then to the rest of the world. It was something that was happening simultaneously. And so as we began to, and in the early days, Doug, it was, it was my wife and my two children that are still at home 
and uh, and we were meeting and we were foraging through the scripture and we were allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us and it was like having our hearts set ablaze and then going, okay, how do we actually implement this? Like we're not a knowledge repository. We're actually we're actually meant to do the stuff. Amen. And if we want to see others become infected by what it means to follow Jesus, then we are going to actually have to step out into that space where we don't have all of the answers, but we have the Holy Spirit who is going to lead us into the field to raise up laborers out of the harvest. And so that is on our heads up display back from 2013, 2014, and remains the focus today. It's still the same. Nothing's changed. That's awesome. That's awesome, Dave. Uh, you know, you're one of my favorite people in the world. Every time we talk, every time I hear your reports, every time I hear about what the Lord's doing through you, it just makes me excited about getting deeper and deeper into the game myself uh, as an individual and as a ministry. But how did you take those things you learned in your living room and then expand into your region and then into some really difficult areas of the world? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question, John, and, and I'm not sure if every podcast that you say that you're talking to your favorite person, but... Um, <laughs> That's actually, he's never said that I've to me personally, that. okay, just letting you know. And <laughs> I've been well, on, compared to the group, like, compared to these guys on this yeah. on this call, yeah, obviously yeah. it's true. Yeah, I've never heard that, I've never heard that before, <laughs> It's an honor, John, and, and you, you know, I love you heaps, and I think it's one of those things that as we are, are pioneering things, that uh, we can feel a bit disjointed from one another, particularly when so many of, of what I call my family, absolutely that I feel what you feel um, when we're so geographically opposed. Those things that I guess began in our home began to propel us forward into our community. And as we propelled in forward into our community, it, it was like the Lord was just gathering up these right people to begin to coach, to have the same heart for making disciples who would make disciples and themselves being disciples worth replicating Amen. that allowed us to see that God was not only birthing something here, albeit slowly, I'd, I'd rather it be a whole lot quicker than what it is, but to consolidate these firm foundations, we poured deeply into the few who would obey and then just through some connections that I personally had, I had the opportunity to travel uh, to an area of Southeast Asia around the Thailand area and began to see that many of the same things we were facing here with the, with the static nature of the Western church had actually been transplanted into a Southeast Asian framework. And, of course, me seeing that, it kind of ticked me off because I was like, hang on, guys, it's not working where we are um, to the degree where we're making disciples that are reproducing and that we're, where we're seeing generation upon generation upon generation. So I felt like the Lord gave me an opportunity to be a bit like a woody. I was going to be a holy disruption to these people. And um, 
And, you know, it wasn't always met with a, with a welcoming smile. However, what it did do was allow us to take what we had learned from the early days of me actually going to Tampa and spending time on the ground um, with the community there, uh, with what we'd experienced here from our home, and really take some of those very basic principles and just begin to, to love and coach Indigenous leaders to be empowered to make disciples of their own people. You know, it wasn't about us taking a colonial mindset and and being the, the white guy on the ground. It was about keeping our face in the background and propelling others forward. And what we saw was an incredibly smart, industrious, Indigenous network begin to rise up that just was incredible. And this is in the face of absolute persecution for faith. And so they were learning and I was learning from there. And so it was shoulder-to-shoulder learning um, as we began to see the Lord just disrupt old patterns of tradition and birth a heart for just Jesus. I have a bit of a motto, which is, you know, like I'm just a dirty-footed follower of Jesus. Look, if you can still see my feet today, I won't lift it up on camera. Um, Thank you. I've got permanent flip-flop marks from just walking (laughs) in the dirt in Southeast Asia and getting sunburned as, 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 as I walked and talked and taught, whether that uh, was in a village, whether it was in a mountainside, whether it was ducking for cover because of artillery fire, we had opportunities to be present with one another. And so that really birthed some of that work in a very high-intensity conflict scenario uh, in Southeast Asia. So my my thought with that, with what you're sharing, Dave, I can I can appreciate the heart of what you're saying. Like you went there and you saw the Western traditions being implemented in an Asian context, and it, you know we're not multiplying disciples here. So then when it's brought over there, it's not also not multiplying disciples. I can I can hear you there, but maybe I could have a question of when you went, what did you find was transferable from what you're doing in Australia? Because I'm sure there's still some things that you're like, man, maybe they don't need to do this Australian way, but there's principles that do transfer. Because I could see United States and Australia, we can kind of do this, the similar or, or the same things. Like you go to Tampa and do the exact same thing where you're at in Australia. But when you go from Australia to try to implement movements in Asia, what transfers over and what, what do you train? And maybe even what are the things that you were like, hey, this is cultural Australia. I'm just not going to train that aspect? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Roger. I, I think the thing that um, that I was mostly observing, I guess, was that a traditional framework of church whereby it is more come, not go, it is more building-centric had been the adopted model. So the idea of DMM, CPM, there was very, very limited handles on what that actually even looked like. So what I found was that the majority of our uh, DMM practices 
absolutely fit because it, it was universal because hmm. it was it was taken straight from the blueprint really of Jesus and deployed from the book of Acts. It wasn't hard to fit it around the Asian culture. One of the things that we that we did have to be careful of is that there wasn't a melding of Buddhism and Christianity. We we had to look at how how we taught was a little bit different uh, because there is some words that don't translate. There's no word for sin in the Buddhist context. You know, there's really no word for heaven. Um, actually, heaven is a fairly scary place. Um, because it's made up of multiple realms of cycles of suffering. So we had to find ways that we could communicate biblical truth in a way where we weren't depreciating the singularity of the message that it was Jesus plus nothing. And I think the other thing that really uh, lent to the taking up of the desire to be disciple makers was that they are so community-oriented, so community-focused, more so than the US, more so than Australia. I mean, at 5 o'clock in the evening, I mean, everyone gets together and goes around and buys food off one another, whatever they've grown, or they go to the market and it's catch-up time. And, uh, and these guys are beginning to redeem that time in sharing their story and sharing the story of Jesus and then going back and doing some training at night. I mean, these guys, they put us to shame. They'll, they'll start sharing at 5 o'clock in the afternoon and, you know, like at midnight, you know, maybe they might wind up and then they're up at 5 o'clock in the morning to get back out into the fields. So what we found that the majority of the base DMM principles were easily adopted within that context in Southeast Asia. And, and we've seen it just we've seen it just take off. It's just been incredible. So I have a question, Dave. Sort of, um, I know that there are certain segments that laborers have come out of in Australia, and there are segments, or even the way that those laborers have been helpful both there and there. So missions is the same thing from my home that you've been in and spent time in with you and Mel. And then as we've been able to actually go and spend time with you and Mel in your home, and that's all relational, not organizational, but Jesus has redeemed, I know in your life, relationally through experiences, streams, so to speak, relationships that have turned into multiplying disciples and churches in Australia. And I was wondering if you could speak to what that looks like with segments where um, fruit is being born in Australia. And then that same thing, maybe how that's transferred to Southeast Asia as well. You speak Lee or Woody. So <laughs> I think you actually, Dave is one of the first people that ever did speak Lee <laughs> is a, a fact. So he actually gets my question inside of there without any translation. So go. Yeah, I'll do my best. Um, <laughs> I think what we have seen is, and, and look, this, this is just, uh, this is all glory to Jesus. It really is because we come across some young guys, I mean, in their 20s, early 20s, 
you know, one studying to be a doctor, one studying to be uh, a psychologist, and just through, you know, what we would say is random circumstances that are very unrandom. Right. I got to spend time with these guys, and they had an oikos or a network that I could probably never penetrate. So I saw my role as pouring deeply into them, training them up, coaching them, and then moving almost into a father role for them where I'm, I'm encouraging them forward. And what they're doing is they're now doing the same, the, the very same thing with uh, those in their university context, uh, those who are of their same age bracket, their same uh, networks and pastimes, et cetera. We are still, uh, let, me, let me put this out there, we're, we're, we're still in our crawling phase here in Australia and Oceania. And that's not even blaming the two years of uh, very limited ability to travel. It's We're in a very post-Christian post, post society here. But what we saw was these two, particularly I'll just talk about these two young guys for a minute, they'd had limited exposure as to what this looked like. And so they asked me, they said, can we come with you on your next trip to Southeast Asia? And I, I rarely take anyone with me because safety and and keeping, you know, white dependency down a little bit. But I, I just felt that it would be really good for them to see something that was just a little bit further along. And so th they came along and, my goodness, it was just incredible these guys interfaced with, again, with young guys their age. They couldn't even speak the language and they're playing soccer with them. They're, uh, they're having tea with them in the tea rooms. Um, they've got a little bit of English. They're playing. There's a broken pool table. They're playing pool with them and they're telling their story and they're telling the story of Jesus. And it was incredible. And then we were coming home from uh, from one of those uh, outreaches uh, into this little village, and uh, one of our indigenous leaders he said to one of our guys, "When were you baptized?" And he said, "Oh, well, I kind of got baptized when I was like six or something like that." And he said it didn't really mean much. And he looked at me and he said, "I need to get baptized. Like I am following." Messiah Jesus, I am making disciples. And, and he w went straight to Second Corinthians. He said, and I'm a, an ambassador of reconciliation. I now speak on behalf of the king. Mm -hmm. I'm an emissary to the people of this world. So I better do what Jesus tells me to do. And so the first minute we saw water, he was like the Ethiopian eunuch. He's like, okay, can I get baptized here, which was this, putrid water tank, and I'm like, bro, long as you close your nose or you put something in your ears, you can go under. And it was one of our Indigenous leaders who baptised him. And this caused uh, for him a real resolve and settling in his spirit that whatever he did in Australia, he can do elsewhere in the world. Whatever he does elsewhere in the world, he also does back home Amen. with his family, with his community, and we're seeing transformation come. So um, I hope that answers your question there a little bit. Will. It is. Well, next, like how it goes, I, I that's 
awesome. And my soul jumps up inside of me to hear it. But I know that you're being able to have impact the redemption that you even experiences in your life with um, recovery streams of post-traumatic stress. And so like, I think let somebody else go, but inside of other answers, there are other streams beyond those locally where it's hard slogging. I'll use your words, the hard yards, but you're doing the hard yards at home with those initial ones and others, and you're bearing fruit. It's not the amount of fruit. You're being faithful in both places simultaneously, not sequentially, which is the same thing from here to there. And it just blesses me, man. I love you, dude. Yeah. Hey, Dave, before we get away from Southeast Asia and maybe jump into to Lee's question, you know, so many times when people go into a, a new area and we think that maybe we have the answers, <laughs> is there one or two things that you learned in Southeast Asia that you said, man, I have to bring this back home? Yeah. Look, I think probably two things. It was when, when people are loved and encouraged, you can draw innovation out of them that I believe that they didn't even know existed within them. And when you help them to see how the Holy Spirit can breathe on that and then you encourage them to simply step out in faith and have a go, it has been phenomenal. We've seen guys that, you know, have said, you know, all I can do is uh, uh, plant rice and now they're managing a good part of our disaster risk reduction and relief efforts, which is now in in the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars worth because we've got about 20 million displaced people in the country. And it wasn't because I said, you need to do this. It was because they saw they were given the freedom to dream in Jesus and that they could trust and rely on him to guide and direct and that it was never just about a bag of rice. It was about we are going to love these people, meet their needs, and we're going to come to them and we're going to tell them about the one who allowed the rice to grow. <laughs> we're going to tell them about the one who brings the water from heaven that we collect and that is going to keep them alive because it's fresh. And all we need to do is put this life straw in it and you can drink it. You know, it's it's those things, John, that I, I, I've been able to bring home and communicate to those around me that where you see a need, don't dilly-dally and wait until you have done all of the courses possible to be able to say, I can successfully engage with that. Roll up your sleeves, get a team around you, and bloody go for it because we've only got a short window of time. So we either, and if we fall off the bike, Woody, what do we do? Get back up. Don't quit. We get back on it. And so I think that whole process of innovation, second thing that uh, I learned there was the beauty of family. I see there where families are so connected, John. Parents love for their children, the children who serve their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents and their uncles and aunties, they all live close together and and they're in one another's lives. And so when they're telling stories and they're, they're communicating, they're doing so in a way that is bringing family together. 
how that translates in our culture where we've got a massive culture of fatherlessness yep. in Australia and we, we see the biological families just pulled apart. We're beginning to work at the moment with pioneering some work with an Aboriginal community who has got that exact same problem. So we're taking some lessons learned there and saying, okay, we can bring that back here and we don't need it to be a carbon copy. What we're doing is we're taking some community transformation principles and we're going to uh, allow the Lord to work through that, that very base model of what it is to have close biological relationships with dads interested in their kids and kids loving their dads. Wow, Dave, you know what impresses me about you is that uh, your faith seems to start inside of you and then just ooze out into these acts of worship with other people. And that becomes, in a sense, your ministry. Do you ever stop and think about just how simple this action really is? Uh, and that if we could somehow replicate this concept to others, then this whole thing wouldn't be so rocket sciencey that we would we would need to feel like this is complicated. Can you say something about the simplicity of just being first and doing next out of that being? Is that mm. weird? That's a good question, Doug. Dude, like, that almost um, sounded like me, Doug. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I guess I came from a background that was people would present me with something complex and say, okay, how do we get through this? And the only way I could get through it was to dismantle it and find a much more simple, direct way through. And so I guess when I look at my relationship with Jesus, I'm like, okay, can we take all of the accoutrements off? Can we take all of the heavy garments that we've laid over what it is to engage and love and worship this anointed king and just come back to the reality that, you know, from, from Genesis 3.15, God led us into the picture. He said, there is going to be one who will bring a culmination and an answer to all of the brokenness in this world. And so as I engage with Jesus, I see not only God who became flesh, but I see a man and I see the way that he identifies with us. And so I just go, you know what? He didn't walk around in religious robes. He just, he recruited a, what we'd call in the military, a section of men, and they hightailed it to the front lines in an insurgency against the enemy and they kicked butt. So I'm like, let's just do that. Let's just, and, and you know what? We might have to, fall back for a little while, but then we go forward. And the plan doesn't change because the enemy always overplays his hand. So I pretty well know what he's doing before before we see the evidence. And so we just skirt around and we go a different way, but the plan remains the same. It's just the clear presentation, the simple presentation of this gospel which was delivered for us mm. as ambassadors to speak on behalf of the king to those who are at the margins, who are needing hope, who have this intrinsic desire for freedom, 
who love to engage in the narrative of a God who has a plan and keeps his promise. That sounds super, you know, honestly encouraging and and even beautiful, just describing just the need to have that closeness with Jesus, as you're saying. Mm. But we're going to have to wrap up the podcast pretty soon. We're getting close to the time. But even with you uh, mentioning, you know, your time in the military and you mentioned before we started recording the podcast that you're, you're doing some work and uh, having access to veterans as well. So I guess before we go, I'd love to hear maybe what you're doing there and, and what God's doing amongst uh, that group and, and how you're accessing that population and, and seeing disciples being made. Thanks, Roger. I'll keep it brief, brother. But uh, yeah, we um, we don't have as high a veteran population as the US, but we uh, we, we do have a, a, a quite a, a sizable population. We also have just an epidemic of suicide mm. um, with our returning veterans. And so uh, teaming up with another brother um, who just loves Jesus and loves people, we have trauma recovery course called Reboot, and we take these guys and girls and our first responders oftentimes uh, on a a four-day deep dive into the root causes of trauma. And where it has really hit home runs is that we address trauma as a moral injury, which is a wound of the soul. If God can make us uh, physical and emotional, he can make us spiritual. And many of these uh, veterans have not found recovery through normal mechanisms of, of program because it's never addressed the seed of the problem, which is a wound of the soul. Um, and so we take them on a journey of excavating to the roots of their trauma And then just like, you know, Psalm 23, they get a chance to lay down beside the still water in the right place and then lead them out of the valley to hope, purpose and healing. And many of these guys and girls have gone on in their desire to really look into what it is to find and follow this person, Jesus. And uh, so it's been it's been a, a great opportunity to love people and to begin that discipleship process in their lives. So really thankful for that. Yeah, that sounds really impactful to, you know, I think that's even impactful for anyone who's gone through any trauma, but that that God has given you the ability to help these veterans with their emotional needs by also meeting their spiritual needs. And I just loved how you mentioned how those two things are tied of being a wound mm. to the soul. And, and also just the, the access or the access ministry, you could say that uh, you were doing in Asia as well um, and how that plays to meeting people's physical needs and bringing mm-hmm. the spiritual, uh, addressing their spiritual needs of sin as well is pretty encouraging to hear. And, uh, you know, something that I know I am not the best at doing that, you know, uh, meeting, you know, I'm, I'm great at going for the spiritual needs, but maybe not addressing the other ones. So it's something I need to learn from you and from others. Um, but I really appreciate everything you've been able to share with us during the podcast. But that is the time that we have today. So just thanks for being on, Dave. Thank you, guys. I, I appreciate you all. Love you all. Hope to be uh, physically present with you soon. How are you making more disciples? What problems have you encountered? What successes have you celebrated? What questions do you have? Share your stories with us by visiting moredisciples.com slash contact. 
If you're looking for next steps on growing your ability to make and multiply disciples, visit moredisciples.com to find resources, tools, and events all designed to help you make more disciples.